Good Sunday morning slash afternoon, depending on where you all are. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Euroball podcast. I am your host, Andrew Bernuka, along with one of the best in the business, uh, one of the best people you will meet who loves European basketball, who covers it, best reporter in the game. Uh, we don't quite have a Wojbob term for him yet, but I think we will soon. Orazio of Basket News. Orazio, how are you today? Uh, it's great to be here, Andrew. Thank you for your kind words. And uh, it's good to finally be together for this podcast. I mean, we've been talking about this for a while and now we finally have the chance to do it. That's right. That's right. Uh, I think so for everyone's background, I think Orazio and I started talking for the first time probably almost six years ago now. I was, yeah. I was still in college. Um, I can't, were you were you university at the time or were you done? Uh, I was already done. I was yeah. Done. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Wow. Six years. So a lot has gone by since then. Uh, Razio and I have been friends since pre-pandemic. So, <laughs> uh, but today's episode, just so everyone is aware, look personally, I have enjoyed some of this Euroleague break. I've been taking some time away from basketball for the first time all season. Uh, before the break, I was in Spain for a week and went out to three games, which was a blast. Uh, but took this time to relax a little bit. Basketball's back in a, in, in a few days. You know, we're going through FIBA Euro, Euro qualifiers right now. We had the domestic cups before that. Not going to talk about all that today. Orazio and I are going to dive into how we think the rest of this season is going to pan out, potentially. Um, we're going to make predictions. Mine have been published already. Orazio gets a sneak peek, so he can he's ready to jump all over anything I have wrong, which I'm sure is a lot of it, as, uh, as it often is. Um, we're going to run through the rankings, you know, top down. We're mainly going to talk about 15 through 3rd. But on that note, to start this thing, Orazio, so here's I I've Real Madrid in first. I think we can agree there's there's no way they're falling out of first place over the last eight games. Correct. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any chance about that. We, we can agree that uh, at the end of the regular season, Real Madrid is still going to be at the top of the at the top of the table. Yeah, yeah. Not much to talk about there. Um, you know, Composo MVP level season, even with their injuries, they just have so much depth. Um, yeah. You know, they, they're they the top of the league. Uh, they're going to be in the final four, almost guaranteed. You know, we'll see what happens then. But until then, you know, Real's storyline is pretty much written. Um, number two, I have Barcelona. You know, look, I think they could fall out of second place, but they, they seem to have a pretty strong hold there. Their schedule isn't too crazy over the final eight games. Um they're playing good basketball. You know, they're kind of back to what they were at the start of the season. They wavered a few times, but the offense is humming again. La Provitola is firing on all cylinders. Look, I still have concerns about that post-defense uh, come playoff times. You know, I like Hernan Gomez. I like Jan Vesely. They're good players. They're not rim protectors, right? Um, and they don't really have anyone on the perimeter who's a great point of attack defender. But for you, are, are you agreed? They're probably in second place when when things wrap up and after round 34. Yeah, I think that overall there's a good chance that they're going to be second at the end of the regular season. As you as you said, you know their offense has been really really good for a big chunk of the season. They have they had their ups and downs, of course, as I think it's it's natural with a team that has changed quite a bit this summer. You know they they made the important changes. They lost a couple of key players like Mirotic and Higgins and. They brought in some, you know, some players that, especially at the Euroleague level, were untested, like like Jabari Parker, who is, of course, extremely talented player, but it's first time in Europe, very particular kind of player, you know, is a, a very unique style 
in his way. So it wasn't that easy, you know, to predict them to be this good. But they are, you know, because offensively, this is a really good team. As you as you said, you know, La Provitola is having another fantastic season. Jan Vesely offensively has been amazing. And he recently signed a contract extension, which is a very good news for Barcelona. The kind of disappointing news has been the performance of Hernan Gomez, to be honest. You know, Willie, you know, he hasn't been the player that we used to know especially at the FIBA level you know with the Spanish national team he has often had really good performances but at the EuroLeague level he's really uh, paying the fact that he's not playing really well defensively uh, his approach also it didn't look really good in, in some games maybe you know th- there's been some speculation about the fact that the, the relationship between him and coach Grimao is not perfect. I don't know if that's the only issue or if there are some other cases. But yeah, if there's an element that, you know, he left me a little bit disappointed with this team so far, he has been the performances of Hernan Gomez. Uh, but yeah, I think there's a there's good chances that they're going to be the second team at the end of the regular season. Although I do believe that one, at least one between... Panathinaikos and Monaco can try to sneak in for that second position. Yeah, definitely. Um, we'll get into Panathinaikos and Monaco later. I'm, I'm happy you brought up Jabari. He's been, it, it's very impressive. I mean, they signed him and I thought it was, you know, classic case of nice name, too many injuries, too old. You know, yeah. he's not, he's not going to survive at this level and like no disrespect to him. EuroLeague's really tough competition to adjust to, um, yeah. especially with the language barrier. I mean, if you watch, Barcelona games and you watch during the timeouts like I do like a sicko um, which I'm sure you do as well um, you know he's there's a translator with him the whole time like kind of walking him through what Grimao is talking about you know Grimao is still very fluent Spanish um, probably Catalonian as well and you know he doesn't speak a ton of English Jabari doesn't seem to have gotten there yet um, and he's still adapting and making plays you know I think the teammates are definitely a help there right like Sadoransky was in the NBA uh, Vesely was in the NBA you know there are guys there who can bring him on board but it's just another obstacle that in the process that I didn't even know about when he first got signed. And I was not confident in the signing in the first place, but he has been a multi-dimensional scorer for them. You know, he can do spot up catch and shoot three, um, which is great if they want to play a bigger lineup and he can shift down to the four. He can attack guys in the posts. Um, he could take guys off the dribble from out on the perimeter as well. He's got that little mid post game that he likes where they'll get him the ball. Sometimes, you know, he's got his back to the guys 14 to 16 feet out. He'll turn around, look for a little pull-up. Um, and he could still, after all those knee injuries, finish with authority at the rim, uh, which is really impressive. Yeah. I've liked Jabari a lot this season. Um, couldn't agree more on Hernan Gomez on the defensive end. You know, I when Barcelona went through that tough stretch this year where they lost to Milano and Alba Berlin, you know, back to back. Milano no Miritich loss. Um, I remember, you know, going back and watching those games, and I mean the defensive breakdowns a lot of which started with with Hernan Gomez were just they were unbelievable and look I I know James Najee is young um I'm not gonna like have some hot take here like you know James Najee should start playing 15 minutes a night and that's gonna fix all of Barcelona's defense that's not true um there's obviously a lot that I don't know that's going on behind the scenes there but you know has I think found minutes for Najee last season for this reason right I mean he just needed some help with rim protection particularly when they were playing Real Madrid he loved to put him in to guard Tavares for a little while 
Um, I think there's more of a space for that there. You know, I think obviously the Charlotte Hornets would like to see that a little bit more. That really doesn't matter uh, to to Barcelona's coaching staff and front office. But I do think there's an opening on that roster for him to play a few minutes every night and really shore up that back line. We may be too late in the season for it now, um, but it's something I would love to see them maybe try out the closing stretch at pet, especially if they get safe in that two seed, but couldn't agree more, you know, Panathinaikos and, and Monaco definitely have a path to, to fight them for it. Um, any other closing thoughts on Barcelona or we can move to the back end of this? Uh, I just think that, uh, you know, uh, of course, as you said, uh, in order to really be a candidate for that final four, they still need to figure it out some things defensively, uh, especially at the rim. They've been uh, pretty bad in some cases. So that's the focus that they need to work on. And uh, hopefully, you know, they can maintain uh, a decent level of chemistry because as I was saying before, there's been rumors about some, you know, level of disconnection between some of the players and Coach Grimau and, of course, especially in the most important moments of the season, that kind of tension can play a factor. I agree. Okay, so let's let's move to the back half because when we start going through 3 through 15, we're going to start from 15. Um, I mean, look, we, we can lump these two together. Alba Berlin and Asvel are the bottom two teams. I don't... I don't I don't foresee anything changing there. Uh, yeah. I think if we spend more than 30 seconds talking about Asvel, anyone who's listening to this is going to stop. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's just yeah, it's... I mean, look, I like some pieces over there. Uh, I like watching Paris Lee play. I think he's a good player. You know, Luabu Cabarro is a good player. Um, there's just there's no defined vision there. They really need to kind of start thinking about things long term. Um, especially with the new the new arena, uh, which they've swapped out of for some games because of ticket sales, which just isn't acceptable. Um, not going to get it into how frustrating it is. They have an A license. Some other teams don't, who, you know, we are always discussed. Asbel is what it is. Um, I, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add there, but if not, we can move. <laughs> to be honest, no. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more with what you said. I mean, there, there's no long-term vision. There's, uh, you know, the, the roster as it makes no sense with the way that it was built. You have some good elements, of course, as you said, but there's no consistency. There's nothing, you know, they, they decided to bring in Pozzeco as the new head coach, knowing exactly that he wasn't Tony Parker's first choice because Tony Parker wanted the German national team head coach. And after less than two months, they decided to fire him because... To be honest, I, I still don't understand the reason. They they, they brought in the, the assistant, Pope, but of course he's not going to change anything. The team was already bad. Pozzeco in two months won more games at the EuroLeague level than TJ Parker had won in an entire year. And uh, I don't know what they were expecting, you know. When, when And what I always say is when you change three different head coaches in a span of less than a season... The problem is with the ownership, is not with the coaching staff. So, yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely, couldn't be more correct. Alba Berlin, um, more of a soft spot there. You know, uh, yeah. I, I am, I am just generally down on Asvel for so many reasons. Alba, the talent just isn't there. We all knew that heading into the season, but there is a project, right? We we know that um, they are they are always trying to play the long game. They're pretty much the only team in EuroLeague that is really focused on trying to bring in some younger players. 
um, and kind of building a system around them, right? They've got the two young Italians on the wing this season, Matteo Spagnolo and Gabriel Procida. Um, I've liked watching them both. I mean, Spagnolo's decision-making already as, as a wing, his handle, it's really strong. It's really solid. If he can up his game as a scorer in that mid-range area a little bit as a shooter um, and become a slightly, you know, better finisher at the, at the rim. I mean, he's still so young, you know, him and Procida, they're yeah. both still, especially for EuroLeague, they're so young. Um, if Spagnola can improve on that part of his game to pair with the playmaking, he's got a really bright future either here or, you know, to the NBA, if that ends up happening, the Timberwolves or whoever decide to bring him over. Procida, his build is fantastic. Great length, great athleticism. You know, he jumps out of the gym. He makes big plays. Similar to Spagnolo, it's that consistency. Some nights the shot is falling. Some nights it, you know, looks like it's barely touching the rim. Um, but he gets out and plays. You know, I think he's someone who's who's going to project to be able to defend, you know, close to all five positions, really be a force on the perimeter on that end. If the shot is going down consistently and he can use that to open up the rest of the game, his future is bright. I like what I see from him. Um, you know, Johannes Tiemann's having a good season. They just look, they just don't have the talent. I mean, Tiemann's they're only five on the roster. I'm not even sure, you know, how confident I feel of him as like a 30 minute a game night as a EuroLeague five. And again, he's having a good season, you know, but at, at anybody who's playing as, as much as he is, you really, really want to be at that top, top EuroLeague level. And I just, I don't think he's there yet, even with his strong play. Um, Matt Thomas and Sterling Brown are good players, but you know, they're just, they're not going to carry a team into the playoffs. Um, I like the vision. I like how it looks long term. If they're, you know, keeping Spagnolo, Procida, you know, even Lewis Olinde, who's had some injury issues, right? If they can, if they can kind of keep some of the nice younger pieces close to their prime pieces for a few seasons and kind of keep working the rest of the core around that, there could be a season where they sneak into the playoffs, you know, or at least they get in the play in and maybe make some noise. Um, you know, they sell that they sell tickets in that arena still. They've got good fans. I like having Alba Berlin in EuroLeague. You know, obviously, I want to see them step it up a little bit um, and and make some more moves. But, you know, it's a project and a vision there. And I've got a lot of appreciation for that. And we need to reward that if we want more of that going forward and less of Asphalt, just in my opinion. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Um, you know, with, uh, with Alba, Alba is probably the only team at the EuroLeague level that really doesn't care about the motto, you know, every game matters. You know, for them, it's always about the long term. They they are they are the only ones that really make investments in younger players, in long term projects, even you know, knowing the fact that they're not going to be successful, you know, right away. And um, it's it's their blessing, and at the same time, it's a little bit of their curse because uh, in the last few years, we still haven't seen that step up that they need to do in order to be really competitive for a playoff spot. Uh, and of course, some of the players, even the ones that have stayed there for multiple seasons, at some point, they want to start to win something, you know, and they want to move to a team that, that where they can be more competitive, like it happened with Luke Sigma, for example. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this season... Pretty much everyone knew coming into the season that they were not going to be particularly competitive, even if they tried to add a bit more of experience and shooters with uh, with Matt Thomas and Sterling Brown. But the, the core of the roster is still pretty young. Uh, as an Italian, of course, I'm following as much as I can both Matteo Spagnolo and Gabriele Procida. And especially with Procida, I'm really happy with the 
progress that he's been making. You know, as you said, very good frame, great athlete, uh, great explosiveness, very good three-point shooter, can be streaky, you know. Uh, and recently, you know, Gigi Datome, who is now the uh, chief of the delegation for the Italian national team, he, he said that at this stage of his career, Procida is readier than Datome was at that stage of his career. So that's uh, that's a good, you know, some good knowledge coming from a, a former veteran like Datome. So I'm I'm really like the direction where the Tome is heading, uh, uh, where Procida is heading. Uh, when it comes to Alba, of course, you know the position is going to be there until the end of the season. If they're not going to be the last team, they're going to be the second to last. But compared to Asvel, the situation to me it's completely different because they're very smart people in that front office with Ignacio Ieda and the rest of the front office is filled with very good executives. Uh, but they, in my opinion, they need start to, they, they, they need to start thinking more about building a team that can be a little bit readier in the, uh, in the immediate, you know, in order to be competitive next season, because at some point, you know, you start wondering, well, if you're if we're going to end up in the last two position in every season, why we're doing this? Yeah. Yeah, agreed. I mean, especially, you know, with the Euro Cup success they had before this. Right. You know, they we know that if they fall into one of the secondary competitions, they can be a more top team. You know, Valencia is a team like we're along a similar level, but has been able to come in and compete more for the playoffs again, leaning more into some more experienced players. But, um, you know, it's. It's certainly a question I'm sure that front office is asking themselves. And, you know, I I love Ojeda. I, I love what he's doing over there. I know he was on when he was on Benis's podcast. I don't know how long ago, but I remember he, you know, he talked about their investment in youth and their belief in it. Um, and, but the issue they're running into and that, you know, European basketball at large kind of has and why they can somewhat capitalize on this um, is that there is no U23 level. For these guys yeah. um you know and that's why we're struggling with players leaving to just go play college basketball in america especially with the nil money and things like that um g league ignite was slightly an issue it looks like not so much based on adam silver's recent comments right but you know ojeda has opened up about that and i i think look it's not a discussion we can get into chapter and verse today that you know we're gonna there's other things we could get to but you know the fact that Prasita and, you know, Spagnolo, their best option to get high level repetitions, you know, at this level of basketball at this age is to, you know, join a team in EuroLeague that is is going to struggle, um, you know, that like that's really their option. Um, that speaks more to a larger issue that I think, you know, yeah. needs to be fixed in the long run. Um, they have to I figure agree. out something to get those guys reps or I mean, they're just going to all go play college ball. You know, I mean, that's that's what's going to happen. Um so after Alba, um, I just, I have Svezda, you know, third to last. And look, they could definitely, you know, jump into somewhere in the range probably of 12 to 15. Um, I'm, I'm not going to deny that. The talent on that roster is still there. Milos Teodosic, Miago Dos Santos, Joel Balomboy is having a very good season, right? Um, they have good pieces, Nemanja Nedovic, Adam Hanga. I was really excited about this team coming into the season. Um, you know, they were, I think I had them in top six, somewhere like that. You know, I had them locked into a playoff spot. I liked Dusko's fit with a lot of the roster. 
Um, you know, it was his guys. He brought back Rokas Kadritis, as he does, right? If Rokas Kadritis is available, Dusko Ivanovic is a head coach somewhere, you know, where you know where Kadritis is gonna end up. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So they look and they had that, you know, I know it was Asvel, but that opener with the crowd, they were shooting the lights out from three, and it was like, yeah, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Nibiosakovic isn't crazy and this this team can make the final four. It looks like the pieces are there. And it's just been downhill ever since. There was the Shabazz Napier drama, uh, which I'm, I'm sure you know way more about than me. But that was, you know, from an outsider perspective, it was just like, again, you know, there's another <laughs> there's a, another person said he wants to go to Milan or another person says they have him texting that they he wants to be back at Milan. Why did he come here? Did Zvezda not know about this? Red Star not know about this? What is really happening? Um, and like I said, I mean, I was I was really bought in on the roster. Um I don't, they play Milos Teodosic and Iago DeSantos together way too much for my liking. I know there's been some injury issues there lately, so we've seen less of that. But I mean, from Dusko didn't play Iago at all, which was like a problem. Yeah. Uh, Sophoropoulos came in and immediately Iago started to get minutes. But I mean, he plays the two of them together. And I just, I don't see how you could think that, you know, he's a great coach. I'm not saying like, you know, this is, uh, this is something I, I know better or anything like that, but um, you know, Yago is always going to be a defensive problem, even though he's a good defender for his physical limitations. You know, he gets yeah. around screens really well. He's got great a- activity with his hands. He's got a good core, you know, like he's he's like Campazzo a little bit and how he can impact the game on that end where he's going to have problems. But, you know, it's not just an immediate bucket if you get him in the wrong situation. Um, you know, Tia Dosic, we know what he is at that end of the floor. I mean, you know, he's you, you put him on the you, you, they played Monaco. They had him guard John Brown, who's, you know, got five, six inches on him and, and uh, way more athleticism, but they were still like, yeah, we'll just, you know, let John Brown shoot long twos. Um, and Brown made enough of them in that game, but you know, that's, that's what we get at that end. So when you play two guys like that together, you are really setting up. Um, I mean, you're just going to, a team's going to come after you in the pick and roll constantly. Yeah. Those two guys. Um, it's very difficult to hold. They haven't really figured that out. They haven't figured out the lineups. They haven't figured out how to win on the road at all. You know, that's been a struggle all season. I know they have a strong home court, but to really be a good EuroLeague team and especially to at least make the play in this season, you have to be able to win some games on the road. Uh, Partizan is putting that to the test, but, you know, you, you have to. to a degree. <laughs> um, and it's just I I like the roster. I think Safaropoulos deter- deserves a summer and, you know, the ability to to see it going into next season. Um, but it's just hasn't connected all year i don't see that changing in any significant way for the final eight games yeah i agree i think you know a lot of people before the beginning of the season uh they had a lot of hype around zvezda because as you said the roster was really intriguing and you know the potential was there but at the same time you know personally i had uh, had a little bit of doubts about the fit you know because when you put together a backcourt in which you have teodosic nedovic iago dos santos uh, shabbat's napier you know all these guys that really need the ball in their hands and you know they're not exactly great defensive players you know it's going to be challenging to to make it work especially when the only real good defensive players that you have, uh, you know, they're just, uh, you know, you have Anga, who's had also, you know, injury issues this season. He's a very good defensive player, but he's not a kid anymore. 
and uh, you know you you thought that in the front court some of the options that you already had they were good and only a few additions could have made it better but you know Toby didn't really work so far in with, with Vesda Bolon boy was probably the guy who came with less excitement uh, he turned out to be their best big man you know they they already signed a contract extension for him and uh, he has been impressive, to, to be honest. He has been their only consistent big man in terms of performances this season. But as I was saying, you know, I think he was very difficult from the beginning because uh, the chemistry wasn't there between the players. And as often happens, in especially with Serbian teams, uh, there was a lot of backstabbing behind the, behind the scenes, you know, so now the, the president of the team saying, you know, Dusko, he didn't want this player and he signed a worse one. Uh, we wanted to sign Shima Moneke and he, won, he wanted Toby. Uh, we wanted to sign Marcus Howard from Basconia and Dusko wanted another guy. You know, uh, when, you, when you put things in this perspective, it's, it's very difficult to imagine that there's going to be a successful season because there are so many different voices inside the club. So the ownership wants something, the coaching staff wants something different. And also, you know, when you bring in a guy like Milos, like Teodosic, you know, even at this stage of his career, you know, the aura that he has, you know, is so big that is going to put a shadow on the on the other guys you know milos is still one of the best players in his role it's one of the most creative point guards out there but of course you cannot you know hold them too much defensively because it is is always going to be an issue teams are going to attack him but at the same time he's not the type of player that you can play 10 minutes even at this stage of his career it's just not going to happen you know because his Milos Teodosic is, especially for Serbian fans and you know for the Serbian environment, is uh, is a, is much more than a basketball player. It's pretty much a living legend. So it's it's very difficult to have that kind of player in the roster. And you know, as far as I know, the relationship that they had with Shabazz Napier, for example, he went south pretty quickly. And uh, as you also noted, you know, when Dusko was still the head coach, Dos Santos was not playing at all because, again, as far as I know, Dos Santos wasn't a request of, uh, of Coach Ivanovic. It was something that the front office tried to bring in uh, to have him also on a multi-year deal so that they could work, you know, long term on him. It, it it was just too much confusion, you know, too many things in the same place that they didn't have a great fit between each other. And we saw that on the court because there were some games in which Zvezda looked great and other in which there was no connection, there was no chemistry. And defensively, we saw all the issues that this team have. And Sphiropoulos, of course, is trying to fix some of that, but it's never easy when you come into the season, you know, mid-season, you have to adapt to a roster that is not really yours, that it was built for another coach. And uh, they had additional drama with the old Shabbat Napier situation. You know, you wanted to go back to Milan and the interviews that Coach Messina had, 
you know, in order to have a successful season, you need to have also a stable locker room and uh, an environment around you that tends to protect you. And I think that these things were missing this season for Zvezda. And that's one of the main reasons why they're not going to be in the contention for a playoff spot. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I agree. And I think, you know, what we're talking about, the the constant, the, the turnover at head coaches, the lack of kind of defined who's calling the shots and putting together the roster. When you have all that going on and you have a player like Milos Teodosic, Milos Teodosic is going to turn into the guy who takes a lot of shots and takes a lot of the possessions because, I mean, that's who he's Milos, right? And if you're concerned about anything, it's like, give him the ball, you know, give him the ball. We're going to get out of the way and see what that happens. And in some ways, there's been some benefits to that. Like a big part of why Belombo is having a good season is like he's a fantastic pick and roll partner uh, with Milos. And and they've had a they found a fantastic two man game. But the other issues are like, look, Milos is 34. I, I wrote about this preseason. Um, it was like, I liked their roster. I think a big part of it working is Milos needs to kind of take a back seat and change his role a little bit. Um, and look, it's not that like you don't want Milos running pick and roll anymore. You don't want him taking guys off the dribble or shooting those quick one dribble pull up threes. Like that's who he is. You want him to play his game. But last season with Bologna, I mean, his efficiency in the pick and roll really went down where he was still at that high level. Uh, was flying off screens as a shooter, you know, like doing some of like what Bellinelli does. Um, not quite at the same level and a little different. He liked to take it and put the ball on the floor a lot. But that's a spot he was really good. I haven't seen a lot of that from Zvezda for him this season. It's much, he- it's very heavy on the ball handler reps um, and attacking from there and getting into the pick and roll, which again, he is good at. But at his age, he's, you know, he doesn't have the burst that he used to. The quick release three isn't there like it used to be. So, he could be stopped in that situation more. He's always been turnover prone. It's just the offense, because it hasn't been defined of really how it's supposed to work, different coach, coach doesn't fit the roster. It falls into this Milos, you know, centric offense, which just, I don't think, you know, that's like gonna, that doesn't guarantee you a playoff spot like it used to. You know, this isn't Cheska Milos. This is a different player who's still very good, but he's just not going to lead a high level EuroLeague team. Um, especially with what he's giving up at the other end as well, as we touched on. So, okay, that that gets us through, you know, one through two, 18, 17, 16. After that, it's all really close, as we all know. You know, this is your league. This is this is how it goes. The standings really open right up. Um, anyone can kind of finish anywhere from this point. So we'll start at 15th. We're both kind of making our projection predictions. I went through, you know, in, in the most recent article I wrote that came out a couple of weeks ago or, or last late last week, um, went through each team's remaining schedule, picked out how I thought they were going to do in those games, um, and kind of projected their final finish for awareness. You know, I, I chalked up most people, you know, if you have Madrid on your schedule, it's a loss. If you have Barcelona on your schedule, it's probably a loss depending on who you are. Um, flip side, you know, if you're playing Alba or Asvel, probably a win, uh, Zvezda, if you're away against Zvezda, it's a different game. You know, we can discuss it. Um, but that was how I calculated a lot of this. So I'll kick us off. Razi, we'll go back and forth here for 15th. I'll say who I have. Uh, then when we get to 14th, you can jump in. Um, we spent a lot of time talking about the five settled teams, but we can move through the top half of this quickly until we get closer to the play-in. But, so I in 15th had Bayern. Um, I like Bayern. I like how it looks long-term with Lasso. Um, I think Sylvan Francisco and Leandro Balmaro, if they could keep those two as a backcourt, 
for a few seasons, like, you know, season two or three together, those two guys, that could be one of the best bass courts in EuroLeague, in my opinion. You know, I I love what Francisco has shown as a scorer, that big shot against Partizan. Um, he's awesome. You know, he moves quick. I, I just love that he glides with the ball. Uh, Bolmaro, you know, he hasn't been the most impressive this season, but the glimpses are there. You know, I think, I think we all trust that the EuroLeague talent is there. He needs some time. He needs to get more consistent with that. He takes that long to pick and roll way too much. And it drives me crazy. He does not make it at an efficient enough rate, but if that changes, we got a different ball game with him. You know, Bolmaro is kind of that big creator. He can guard even some wing players with his size. Francisco is that scoring guard. Um, they need to figure out the wings a little bit. That's been a weak point for them this season. Obviously, Lucic is injured, but also Lucic's age. Like, you should not be dependent on him anymore. Um, I love him. He's one of my favorite players I've ever watched in this competition. But it's just, you know, he's he's kind of past that. Um, Nick Wheeler-Babb is great. I like, I think that guy is, you know, what he does for Bayern and what I think he could do for a lot of EuroLeague teams. It's you know, like that Jerry and Grant role where he can occasionally take some guys off the dribble, but he's really a, a spot up guy and he's happy to take on a tough defensive assignment every night can guard multiple positions. Um, those three, I really like the rest of the roster has some good pieces, but like, I mean, the wings, they haven't figured out Lucic. Giffy is like good player, but you know, he can't, he's not somebody you want playing a ton of minutes. Devin Booker at the four, yeah, you know, Ibaka at the five has had his moments, but I mean, he's he's Serge Ibaka. He's he's old. His back still has issues. He can't he can't give you the minutes you need every night. Um, he he just can't over the course of the, over the over the course of the season. He's not that guy anymore. There are some nights where he can only give you ten to fifteen. Um, and if you're counting on him for more than that regularly, he's going to see a drop in play. Um, so. They have some good pieces long-term. I think that's why they've had some very impressive performances this season. Pablo Lasso's resume speaks for itself. You know, if they're invested there long-term with this roster, you know, I think we're going to see them in a final four probably at some point under Lasso if he's there for a few seasons. Um, it's not this season for me. And, you know, I, I have them finishing in 15th. Um, who do you who do you have 15th? What do, what do you think of Bayern? Feel free to take that either way. Yeah, no, I agree on the position. I, I have them also in 15. And, you know, um, as as you said, this is the first season under uh, Coach Lazo's project now. And I think pretty much everyone expected to them to be not a playoff team this season because it's still too early. You know, uh, they still need to make uh, several adjustments. And uh, th- there's, there's some... Interesting elements, of course, uh, as you're saying, you know, his rookie season at the EuroLeague level for Francisco he has been really, really good. He's an exciting player, very entertaining to watch. You know, uh, I've always been a fan of Bolmaro uh, with his uh, ability also to put his teammates in rhythm, uh, can defend multiple positions. Is a, is a really interesting player. Uh, probably not the star that you can build around, but a very solid foundation piece for, for your team. And, you know, Carson Edwards has had, you know, his, um, his moments and uh, you know, scoring off the bench, you know, that's, that's what he does. Uh, but overall, you know, this is a team that is still, um, is still far from, potentially contending for a playoff spot, at least this season. Uh, as you said, you know, Ibaka was a was a nice addition, but, you know, he's in the final stage of his career. He has health issues, of course. 
you cannot use him like 30 minutes per game. And uh, he's had some really nice games. He's been important, but, you know, it's um, in my way, in my, in my opinion, you know, he's a one-time addition. You know, it's not something that you can do consistently. Um, so I think there is a reason to be optimist for, for the incoming future. But for this season, I think that's the position that they're going to head to. You know, 15, I agree on that position. I think that's where they're going to what they're, where they're going to land because they're being kind of inconsistent uh, in terms of performances. So that's, that's the range as of right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, if they get a, a late season surge of consistency, right? Like it can happen. Um, but I just, I doubt it. I'm trying to pull up their schedule here. Um, what they've got for some of these games. Yeah, I mean, they, they got a home game against Red Star. Um, they're going away to Efes, Valencia, um, and then also Monaco. But, you know, their home game against Zalgiris, that's going to be a big one, obviously. And I just, I, as we discussed, it's been, there's been flashes this season. So, sure, they could spring, spring it all together for a, a late stretch of games here. But I just, they haven't done that yet. It, w- it would seem unfair to kind of to kind of bank on that. Um, moving to 14. So I have Valencia and look, they have been, I remember watching this team in uh, one of their early ACB games this season uh, on the road against Malaga when they made a third quarter comeback and and won that game. And I was like, oh, there's something here. You know, there's, there is something here. Um, They've got a good, they've got great basketball culture over there. They built a roster that is consistent. It's very physical. Um, it really, you know, it mucks the game up. That's what they have a lot of guys doing, um, is who just get out there and it's like, you know, their goal is to just mess shit up. Like that's how they play basketball. Um, sometimes even on the offensive end, Chris Jones is a good guard. He can lead offenses, but they still, they just never found like that consistent perimeter scoring option. Um, and that's really hurt them. You know, their best offense comes from like Jones Davies pick and roll, which isn't creating a lot of threes. It can get them enough buckets to stay in a game. Uh, Damian Inglis kind of plays off that. Davies likes to run at this high low game, which like I don't maybe I maybe I space this with where Davies was in like Barcelona and Talgiris or, you know, and Milano. Maybe I just forgot, but he he is a much better passer than I remember. Um, he has. There are times where I watch him this season and he is really moving the ball properly and I'm very impressed with him. Um so, you know, it's and their defense speaks for itself. I love the way they defend. Um, you know, I wrote this. It seems like something they do defensively is, you know, a lot of teams have this scheme of, you know, we switch everything, you know, or we, you know, we only switch, we only switch ball screens, you know, or, you know, we're doing a lot of hedge and recover. Valencia seems like it looks like they go into games with the scouting report and it's like, you know, this guy's guarding this guy and uh, we're only switching to get that matchup back. Like we, we want our best defenders on their best opposing players. And we think if we could do that, we can scrap and stay in a game. Um, they just haven't done it enough this season. You need to score enough points to win games. They have not done that. Again, I like a lot of the pieces here. It's a really fun team to watch in an ugly way. Um, but I don't see a position higher than 14th for them. Um, and, and look, maybe we're wrong. Maybe something changes, but that's where I've got them. Yeah, personally at 
uh, at 14, I had uh, FS. Uh, but, uh, you know, as you mentioned, you know, in this, especially in this position, everything is pretty close. Uh, I, I put FS at 14 mostly because I really don't trust their defense. It is a really talented team, but defensively, they're, they've been really, really bad this season. Like, really, really bad. I mean, in terms of uh, um, defensive rating, they're even worse than Asvel, which is, you know, not a good sign at the EuroLeague level. And um, so I had FS at 14 mostly because really I don't trust their defense, despite the fact that they have some real talent offensively. And despite the fact that with the hiring, I mean, with the promotion as a head coach of their assistant, they, they look better in the last few games. They look better. They, they got a couple of nice wins against Milan, against Maccabi Tel Aviv. Uh, but still, you know, I think that they're kind of they're the team that always need to score one more than the others. And, you know, their defense really can save their lives. And, uh, and that's an issue that I think it's going to cost them a lot. Also in the last few games of the, of the regular season, uh, when it comes to Valencia, which you mentioned before, I, I believe that, you know, as you said, they have a great defensive system in place. Uh, they, they really make you, play in a poor way you know that's that's their top quality as a team but offensively they don't have enough talent they don't have enough firepower and especially in the backcourt they really lack uh, a true point guard that can elevate their game because of course Chris Jones is more of a combo guard uh, in my opinion, to really shine, he needs a, a better point guard close to him. And, you know, neither Jared Harper or, you know, the arrival of uh, Kevin Pangos really changed the situation up to this point. And uh, as, as far as I know, they're going to part ways with both of them at the end of the season, both with Jared and, and Kevin. Uh, so that's one of the main issue because uh, even, you know, they decided to bring in this summer uh, Brandon Davis and uh, Ojaleya from, from Virtus and from Milan. And despite the fact that they had some nice moments, you know, offensively, they didn't bring the, the, the firepower that probably the team was expecting from them. And, uh, and you know, offensively, there's just not enough rhythm. There's not enough creation, and uh, it, it's kind of predictable their the, the way of play offensive basketball, and uh, and this is something that ultimately, you know, they're probably going to cost them the possibility of fighting for a playoff spot. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, look, I I like Harper a little bit, but I mean, similar. I mean, he's not he's not a point guard. He's like a scoring guard. You know, that's yeah. he's two guard in like a really small yeah. guard's body. Like, I mean, yeah. I think that's his downside. Pengos just isn't the guy he used to be. I think we all I think that much is clear these days. Um, yeah, you know, look uh, when they put when they have like Davies, uh, Inglis, and Ojale out there all at once, it looks terrifying. I mean, yeah. it looks like you know, if I had to run an office against that, I'd be like, I don't know, we're shooting pull-up threes for the next three and a half minutes, <laughs> and hopefully one of these guys comes out of the game. Um, because that's how they move. 
on Fez. Do be clear on this point, and, I, and you're probably in a similar spot. You know, these next three teams I have, Valencia, F, you know, I have Fez 12th. Um, they have the same record. They're 15 and 9, um, 15 and 19. I, I could be missing a tiebreaker thing. I looked at the tiebreakers and the play-in spots and stuff, not towards the bottom. Uh, so you may be correct. I may technically actually have Fez 14th and not even know it. Um, Fez, same boat. I mean, yeah, they they can't guard anybody. Um, it's atrocious. You know, they're, they're still trotting lineups out there with Darius Thompson, Shane Larkin, and Rod, Rodrigo Bobois, you know, all three of them at the same time, which great offense. Um, I don't know who of those three guys is stopping anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. Thompson is passable. Bobois has his moments, but I mean, Lark, Larkin's pretty much done on that end of this career. Um, and, you know, look, I... I really liked Erdem Shan. I hope he gets another EuroLeague shot somewhere soon. I think he is no doubt a high-level coach uh, for this competition. That'll prove over time. What he did with Turk Telecom the season before was fantastic. His resume speaks for itself. I think it, even with this short little boost in play, um, you know, not to criticize anyone too much, I do think too much stock was put into, you know, Shan working with a roster that is just not his. They have so yeah. much money still tied up and Clyburn, Larkin, Bobois, you know, the old guard, the guys who brought them to your league titles, the guys who deserve those contracts they have, right? Yeah. Um, you know, who have been a part of who've been a part of great success there, a great era for that club. So I understand it. But and and I know they made some nice moves this season, going out and grabbing Darius Thompson, the best point guard on the market, right? Like you expect more from that, um, no matter no matter who the coach is. Um, but I th- I really felt he was a guy they should have looked at of like we can't assess him fairly until, you know, he's kind of built more of this core. Like Larkin and Beauvoir could still be there. Clyburn in particular is the main one. I mean, he's 35, almost 36 now. Um, his age is really caught up and you just see it. He just doesn't move like he used to. He's had the injuries too, um, which is a shame because, I mean, he was like the best three, four tweener scorer this competition had for a stretch. Um, and that part of his game is just left. So I'm, I'm with you on FS. I see it. Um, you know, I think as they move, if they nail this transition over the years, moving away from these guys, bringing in the right pieces around them, um, they could be back to a top level, but they're, they're always going to struggle with this. Um, so I had, I had FS 12th, um, we talked about them in Valencia. So I'll give you my team in, in 13th now, or actually how about you, you give me your team in 13th. Who do you got next? So uh, at thirteen, I had uh, had Valencia. So we 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 already mentioned them. I uh, I I mean I saw that you put Milan, but again in this position, it's uh, it's very close. Uh, you you do you want to start with Milan or you want me to talk about them? Because uh, you start with Milan. There's... You start with Milan. Yeah. yeah yeah. Okay, because there's plenty to say. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's very difficult to to understand uh, what, what's going on because, of course, they started the season again with the expectation that they're going to be a potential Final Four contender. I mean, they recruited Nikola Mirotic, who was probably the most coveted free agent in European basketball. I mean, pretty much everyone took a shot at Mirotic this summer, you know. Partizan, the, 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 the Greek teams, the, you know. Everyone tried, but in the end, you know, he decided to go for for Milan, and uh, they added some other, you know, nice pieces potentially with Poitras, with uh, Kamagate. But once again, the um, 
the original sin was, you know, we're going to start the season with Kevin Pangos as the starting point guard. That's where, you know, uh, they lost faith pretty quickly. You know, the, the relationship between him and Messina was already not in a good place. But after a few weeks, it just, you know, it just went south. Uh, of course, you know, they did try to bring some different players in the backcourt over the summer. I mean, they tried to sign Darius Thompson, but then the price, you know, skyrocketed. And they tried to keep Napier, but then Zvezda came in with this very big offer and the player decided to go to Belgrade. Uh, although he was thinking about staying, but, you know, I think it's pretty natural that as a professional, when you receive a bigger offer, you're going to go for the bigger offer, despite the fact that you might have some doubts about the environment, the fit. But, you know, these guys are professionals. So if someone offers you more money, most likely you're going to get that offer. Uh, but uh, as I was saying, you know, they started to have issues right away. Uh, in terms of uh, offensive chemistry, uh, the, the the first games were uh, you know were they, they were tough to watch because you know the the only offensive option it looked like it was let's give the ball to Miritic and let's see what happens you know uh, and I mean I understand that when you have Miritic you try to use him as much as you can because he's such a good offensive player he can do so many things. Uh, in the post, on the perimeter, you know, is such a versatile player. Uh, but to me, it was really uh, difficult to understand uh, how how do you think it could have been sustainable to keep playing with this very big lineup using Meritich, Voidman, Melly, you know, all together. And in the backcourt, you have Pangos and Maudolo and... You know, they wanted to use Billy Barron, of course, but Billy Barron has never been available pretty much this season because of his elbow injury. Uh, I really didn't understand how they think he was sustainable to, to play that way because defensively it was, a, it was a wreck, you know, because they often use Miritich as number three and Miritich as number three, he can guard anyone. Simple as that. He's such a fantastic player offensively. But defensively, especially if he has to defend against smaller player, quicker player, he has no chance. Simple as that. And um, and I think they also, at some point during the season, they made things even worse internally with Coach Messina going out there and giving interviews that he should have never given in the first place. You know, uh, because... He started to receive criticism about his double role because he's both the head coach and the president of basketball operations. So he's literally the one in charge for every single roster decision in the team. And when he started to receive those criticism, he went to the reporters that criticized him for the double role, invited over to, to lunch and gave them an exclusive interview. And one of those interviews backfired on him because it was that interview where he talked about Shabbat's Napier. You know, he wanted to come back uh, and he's sending texts to his friends that he wants to go back to Milan. And actually, you know, after that interview came out, Messina said, I didn't really say that, those things. You know, it was more of a joke 
that the uh, that the reporter interpreted that something that I really said, you know. And of course, the interviews created a lot of uh, drama in the media around Messina. Uh, you know, at some point there were people saying, "Oh, he's going to step down as head coach." You know, he's uh, he's not going to continue until the end of the season. And in that moment, the club announced the contract extension until 2026, which, you know, it was weird because it was, Coach Messina actually signed that extension right after they won the Italian league last season against Virtus Bologna. It's just that they didn't, never announced it. You know, up to that point, they never announced it officially. You know, sometimes in terms of how dealing with media and public perception, Milan can be a very particular team. It's something that I learned over the years. And uh, and uh, so overall, it has been a very weird season for them. They potentially still have the possibility to get at least into the plane, but I just don't trust them because every single time I thought, oh, okay, they're turning the page around. You know, they're, they're about to change their season. Then they come to horrible performances right away one after the other, where they have no idea how to run an offensive set in a proper way. And uh, there is also this tendency that they have that they play great in the first half, and when they come back in the second half, they look like a completely different team. Flat, with no energy, making silly mistakes, you know, stupid turnovers, and uh, I just don't trust them enough to be a playoff team because they've been inconsistent, uh, inconsistent this entire season. I mean, even recently in the final eight of the Italian Cup, they had the potential to win it. You know, great matchup in the final against a team that was supposed to be not as good as them, like Napoli. And, and they lost it. You know, they approached the game in a very poor way. Napoli just played better from the beginning to the end of the game. And that's why I don't trust Milan, because they are too inconsistent. And despite the fact that potentially they have the talent to be one of the best teams in Europe, they just don't have the consistency to, to do it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I still, I love the, the part of the Napier saga with uh when yeah after the Messina interview came out and yeah. we were pretty much like yeah it was joking and I was like what was yeah. the joke there man like what was what was the funny part of what you said to that yeah. like how would anyone interpret you know yeah he wanted to come back here like how would anyone interpret that as like yeah I was just joshing around man it's just cracking jokes um yeah, that was really interesting. I couldn't agree. I mean, I remember when they signed Miritich this summer. Look, as we said, everyone had, a, there's always a reason to sign Nikola Miritich. He was, yeah. you know, the best player on the market. But yeah. when he came in, like my first quarter was like, okay, what does this mean for Nicolo Melli? Because those are not two guys you can play together. Um, yeah. You know, they like you're either moving one of them to the three or one of them to the five, which neither of them are built to play. Um, so, you know, I do think if they come back, next season with most of this roster and maybe sort out some of those things, add some more versatility pieces around instead of more of the same. Right. But cause like, let's be, I mean, Napier Hall shields, Miritich, one of Poitras or Voitman. That's a really good five man lineup. 
That's yeah. that's a that's a top five man lineup in Europe right there. Uh, that's one of the most talented offensively. There's good defense there. You put Poitras back there as the rim protector. He could fortify that thing. Like that's a final four level lineup if they can establish the consistency and stay healthy. Right. So if they come back that next season, I think we're talking about Milan in a very different way. Um, but right now, you know, there's just it's been too much. Too much of their season has been about what's happened off the court. And yeah. you just you can't afford that. Um, you know, if I think if it was all about basketball and what's happening on the court, maybe we feel differently about them, but it just hasn't gone that way. Um, all right. So we're through, we're through 15 through 12. Um, we're now at the last spot before the play in, and I will, I'll let you kick us off. Who do you have in 11th, Orazio? Uh, I have, uh, Zalgiris. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's yeah. go ahead. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about Trinchieri's turnaround. Yeah, it's uh, it's been amazing, you know, to to see them playing after the arrival of Coach Trinkieri. I mean, I had hopes that he could turn around the situation, but I didn't think he could have done it, you know, that fast, to be honest, and that good because they've been really good on the court, you know, been they've been a very exciting team to watch, and um, and that's why, you know, I trust them so much because I think they're gaining this momentum and they're riding this momentum. And, and you know, historically, Zalgiris has always been a tough team to play against when they play at home because they have such a great home factor. You know, their arena is always filled, is always crowded with people. There's huge passion. And uh, But now, you know, they also have a coach who really understands that kind of environment, that is able to create that connection. That is something that Trinchieri has always been very good to uh, to do it because he did it when he was at, with Partizan. He, he did it when he was with Bamberg. You know, he's great when he has to create that connection with not only with the fans, but with the entire environment. He really embraces the culture of the team. And uh, it's also such a intoxicating personality you know that he has because uh he's always very funny he's um uh, as a reporter i always say he's a quote machine because every single time that he does a press conference there's always something interesting to extract from that press conference um i mean after the first win that he had in kaunas uh, he, he said this thing about the chat that he has with his some of his italian friends and former players you know and he played this italian song and he became immediately like the anthem for the team you know is uh, it's it's great in uh, elevating the morale of a of a team and Zalgiris needed that because they were kind of in a depressing part of their season. You know, things weren't going well. They were thinking about letting uh, Keenan Evans leave into the middle of the season because he was receiving offers from, you know, from Barcelona, from Milan. There were teams that were interested in having him. And in the, you know, in the end, they decided to keep him. And that's, that, that, that was great for them because Keenan, of course, is their star. You know, without him, he wouldn't be the same team. He, he became one of the best guards in the EuroLeague, which is something that, I mean, it wasn't that easy to predict, I think, especially after his first season that he had with Maccabi. You know, he, he had some nice moments, but that connection between him and Will Bekin, he never really worked in that environment. 
but then you know last season he was already amazing before the injury then unfortunately he had the injury so his, his season was cut short uh and this season he came back and he looks even better than last season which is impressive because he had a pretty severe injury you know the this is that that is usually the type of injury that turns you into a different kind of player but for him it wasn't like that and they're playing they're playing really good defense offensively they've been really fun to watch you know they're sharing the ball of course they use Keenan as kind of a closer in the in the tough moments of the game because you know he can take responsibilities he can make the big shots and I just I just put them in the 11th position because I believe that they are riding this momentum and they're as of right now, they're one of the most difficult teams that you can face at the EuroLeague level. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I have Zalgiris 10. Uh, my 11th is Basconia, but I'll stay on Zalgiris here to start, and then we can we can pivot uh, to Basconia. Um, yeah, first of all, the the main change like that that I see from Trinkieri, there's been there's been a few of them, but I mean it's pretty clear that like he got there and he just like found Keenan Evans and was like. Hey, you shoot whenever you want. Just <laughs> whenever, yeah. whenever you want. You, you get the sh- if you want to get a shot up, you can take it. Um, which I love, right? Because I think a guy who's as skilled as Evans is, like he's falling into that category of you know your Mike James, your Shane Larkins, your really impressive guards who they are so good that as a coach, even though it's going to drive you crazy, you always want a good shot. There should be three or four times a game where they take a shot where you're like, oh my god, that's a terrible shot. You know, seven seconds into the shot clock, contested, hoisted three. But they make enough of them, especially if they get hot, where you're like, yeah, like, l- let it fly. You know, sometimes that's yeah. the best possession for us. Um, he's given Evans, like, all the leeway in the world, which he deserves, especially with what else is around him there. Not to diminish the talent, but, at, like, you know, their offense is only going to work if Evans is having a good game. They need him. They need him scoring yeah. the ball, which means he's got to he, – he needs to be able to let it fly. Um, I love Thomas Dimsa. Uh, he is like my sneaky guy who I watch and I'm like, I think this guy could play in the NBA. You know, I, I love how he moves on the perimeter and lets it fly. He's probably a little too frail and like just doesn't quite have the athleticism, but I really like his game. He's a crafty finisher at the rim. Like there's a few times where I'm watching him and he is like, you know, offhand, wrong foot, like flicking the ball in off the glass. And I'm like, how, like, how did he make that shot? When did when did he develop that? Um, he's really good. I like him. Uh, Barutus, it's been awesome. Like Trinkieri's made that change where he starts him at the five and he is just connecting with Evans and that pick and roll. He's got that little push shot that like he, he catch before he even catches the ball. He's somehow shooting it. Um, that's really difficult to guard. Hayes comes in off the bench and it's just like an energy machine. Now he's running all yep. over the place. You know, I like how it works. Roland Smith's everyone, you know, if you've, if you followed me or, or read anything, I, I love Roland Smith's, you know, I like he is to me, surefire NBA level player, you know, could come in and space the floor for teams. Um, he rebounds. Well, he's got some post game. Um, I think he, you know, he's not as fast as he want anyone to be obviously, but I think he actually moves his feet better than people give him credit for. Um, yeah, look, it is I, – I have them in 10th. I have them completing the turnaround uh, to sneak into the play-in under Trinkieri. But, you know, as these this last batch of teams was tied in record, for everyone, like, I have uh, Basconia 11th, Zalgiris 10th, and then the, the next team I have in 9th, they're all three, again, same record, 17 and 17. You know, like, th- that's how close it is. And I, I've got Zalgiris ahead just barely on a tiebreaker. So I have an 11th 
you know, that's it. That's it for me on Zalgiris. Um, I've, I've loved, I love the new basketball under Trinkieri. Um, you know, I think they can pull it off. They do have, it's a tough final eight games. Like they really need to keep playing at this level for all eight games. Um, the good thing they have going for them is they have, they do play Real Madrid, but I think it's a, it's the end of the season. It's the final game. So there's a chance Real Madrid is resting their stars and they can yeah. actually grab a win against Real and like a, and like a big spot. Um, We'll see if that actually happens. So 11th, I have Basconia. And again, this has been an interesting team this year. Um, you know, I don't know how you felt about them going into the season, but I remember I watched one of their early ACB games uh, against Mercia, who's having a great season, by the way. You know, like, p- please don't take this as me being like, oh, they, they lost to Mer- Mercia has been awesome. Um, they've, they've looked like almost a EuroLeague level team at times this year over there. But they, you know, I was watching them and like, there was no offense outside of Marcus Howard. Like if he did not get going from the perimeter, the entire game was closed off. Um, I remember one of their early games under Penaroya. I, I can't remember exactly who they were playing, but they were in a timeout. And like Penaroya was saying, like it was late in game. They needed offense. And he was like, you know, Cody runs the pick and roll. That's going to pull some defense and you'll be able to find Howard for a three. And like Cody just said in the timeout, he was just like, hey, man, they're going under everything. Like I we we can run pick and roll all you want. But like I it doesn't work. Like they're just going under on me and I can't get to the rim. So nothing opens up and they just stuck with it. They ended up losing the game. Um, and they were one and four. They brought in Dusko. They had the immediate Dusko bounce shot right back up the table into the playoff fight. Um, their defense hardened like right away. You know, that was, yeah. that was clearly the first thing Dusko did was like, he went in there, he saw Cody and he was like, you're an animal on this end. Just cover everyone like a maniac. Um, they started to blitz a lot more pick and rolls. They became a little more comfortable in their hedge and recover game, which has been great. Like he loves, that's what like set is pretty good at that. If he's in the weak side corner, he really knows how to get over and help on the roll man and get back in time. He's got good size. He comes back and rebounds and closes possessions for them. He's a really impactful player. And on the offensive end, you know, like, I don't think Dusko has done anything special. I don't mean that as a disservice to him. Um, really, all he's done is he makes sure Cody is surrounded with spacing. Monarchy, Howard, Marinkovic, Rokovopoulos, who's finally kind of finding his groove at this level, right? Um, and when he has that spacing, now Cody can get his north-south stuff going. Now he can get downhill and attack the rim where he's better, where he can finish, where he's got good length and strength when he goes to attack the basket and it opens up the shooters. It lets Howard get going. It lets Monarchy get going. It's made it work. You know, I have them finishing 17, 17, and they're just going to get pushed out on the tiebreaker. Um, they have a round 30 game against partisan Belgrade. That is going to be like very likely like contender game of the season. Yeah. You know, like that game is going to be everything to both of those teams. It's in Belgrade. Um, if Basconia can win, uh, they own the tiebreaker. I think if Partisan wins, I, I think Partisan is like plus two or something on them or, or minus two. If Partisan wins, you know, by three points or so, then they take the tiebreaker back. And that's probably going to determine those playing spots. Um, so I have liked what I've seen from this team since Dusko came into charge. Um, I don't think it's been anything super revolutionary. I think it's very much he did what he does. He came in and he was like, this is how we're going to defend. This is how we're going to score. We're going to do this every night. And that's how we're going to win basketball games. And he's, he's got them all to buy in. Um, what, what, what do you have? I guess, who did you have 10? If you know, uh, uh, I had Basconia 10. I had Basconia 10. So let's yeah. get into it. What do you, what do yeah. you think of Dusko's boys? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, when when he came in uh, to to replace Penaroya, I mean, uh, the the, the Penaroya thing, I I don't know why they st- they started the season with him because they already tried to replace him in the summer. Uh, they were very close to hire Luca Banki, you know, this summer, but uh, they wanted to have him right away, you know, to leave pretty much the Latvian national team right before the beginning of the World Cup. And you know, Coach Banki wanted to uh, wanted to finish his job with the Latvian national team, so he so he turned down that offer. But they had really uh, little little confidence in Penaroya, and uh, I think it was pretty clear from the beginning things were not working. Uh, last season they were very fun to watch offensively, but that offensive groove kind of disappeared. You know, it was all about Marcus Howard and nothing else. And uh, some of the additions, of course, that they tried to make during the summer, they didn't really work, like uh, like Mannion. Um, and so they clearly needed a change, and Ivanovic was probably the best option to, to bring that change uh, because, of course, it's someone who really knows that environment very, very well. He's been there multiple times already. And, um, and as you said, you know, he... He, he brought immediately great stability. Okay, guys, we, we're going to do very few things, very simple, but we're going to do them consistently. And he started to use, uh, in a much proper way, Cody Miller-McIntyre, who, you know, the, the, in some ways there's always some doubts, like he's not really a EuroLeague-level player. It is if you use him in the right way, you know, and he's a great defensive player. He knows how to find his teammates offensively if you put him in the right system. And we saw that. I mean, he had a 20-assist game. Uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic player if you use him in the correct way. And uh, Marcus Howard is being himself. And they had uh, a certain type of growth from some players. I mean, Sedekerskis has been fantastic this season, especially when it comes to rebounding situations. He's been a machine. And uh, that's why also they're trying to really really hard to extend his contract because he's such an important player to them right now and uh you know it's a it's a team that has completely changed his defensive mentality they're now a much better defensive team and uh they have players who are all over the place of course like like chima uh you know also, they, they, they create that uh, energy that this team really needs because Basconia has always been a very high-energy team. And when they have that energy, they become a much, a much better team. And uh, that's why, you know, I believe, that for me, it was very close between them and Partizan for that 10-9 spot. I decided to put them 10 just because, you know, Partizan head coaches, Jelko Bradovic and to me, you know, Bradovic is uh, probably the best European coach ever, uh, but it's gonna it's gonna be very very close. I think that the difference between them, its partisan, is really really limited. So it's gonna be a very close call. Monarchy's been really really interesting to me. I wrote I wrote about him earlier this season. Um, he's a very skilled offensive player. His catch and shoot and like one dribble pull up has really improved this year. And I mean, he is he is unstoppable in transition at this level. When they find him breaking down the wing, slashing down the wing, like that's it. That's two points, or he's getting fouled and he's going to the line. Um, he's been really good, really impressive. He does have. I have like I remember when I watched him when he was playing well. 
I was like, why does Dusko not start him? And but like if you watch him on the defensive end, you could see why Dusko yeah. does not start him. He just there are times where you he just stopped paying attention. Like he was just like, eh, well, you know, I'll, I we'll just find out if my guy's gonna make that shot. Um, like that's his approach to defense sometimes, it looks like. And look, like he's giving his all on the other end of the court. He's in that game to score and put points on the board. Like it'd be nice if he was 1000% locked in on defense all the time, but that's really hard. That's a hard lift on a player. Um, and he's also the type of guy who like, he has the athleticism where even when he's not locked in, he can still make a play on that end. And I think that's kind of his approach. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, I remember their game against Panathinaikos when Miller made the game winner, you know, I pulled some clips from that. He had a few like defensive decisions in that fourth quarter where like he was making shots, but on the other end, he was almost giving them points right back. He like switched with Howard on a Mitoglu pick and roll. And he just like told like Marcus to go guard Matoglu in the post. And it was like, what are you, like, what are you doing, man? Like, just, you can't do that. <laughs> like Marcus, Marcus can't go down there. Um, I would love to, you know, I like, I hope Dusko stays there. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what their roster is like next season. Cause he's really maximized this, what they have right now, you know, it's tough to figure out exactly what they're going to need to add going forward. Um, especially with, you know, how they're limited in their own budget um, and, and, you know, how much they struggle to fit, you know, the domestic requirements at times, but it's fun. There's great intensity, you know, if they get into the playoffs, you know, they get, they get in the play in, I have them just on the outside looking in it, you know, hurts me to write. I know that would hurt those fans, um, but you know, if they get in, they're going to be tough. Like, I don't think anybody wants to deal with that team in a five game playoff series. Like you don't want to go to Fernando Buesa. You don't want like, Marcus Howard is one of the Marcus Howard and Monarchy could just show up in a road game and say, you know, we're putting up 24, 25 points each. We're going to scrap the other 20. Uh, and we're, you know, we're going to beat you up. And like, that's what we're going to win this game. 70 to 68. We're going to go back. We're going to go back to our place and see if we can win two in a row. Um, so yeah, I have, I had Zelgiris 10th, um, as we discussed. And then my final 17 and 17 team in ninth, uh, is partisan. Um, so look, you know, we, we talked about it. I'm in the same boat as you, like they have not been playing good basketball lately. Not even close, actually, if I'm being honest. Um, I'm just never going to bet against Elko Obradovich, like figuring it out in the closing stretch. It is the same way. I made a mistake. One of the first seasons I was really into your league ball, um, Olympiacos and FS faced each other in the playoffs. It was that those Thomas Hertel, uh, you know, FS teams. And I remember, you know, they, they had that series and I picked Evis. I thought they had too much athleticism. I thought they had enough talent. Um, and it was just like, you know, don't bet like Spinola, don't bet against Spinolas. You know, like yeah. don't just he's he's gonna figure out a way to win a ball game. But which he did. That's exactly what happened in the playoff series. I learned my lesson there. I'm applying it to Abradovich here. I know this team has been up and down. They've been a little too dependent on PJ Dozier at times, which like he's just not ready for that level of responsibility in this competition. That's okay. He's young, it's his first year here. Um, Nunnally has had a great season, but again, like it's not always there when they need it. Punter has really struggled. Um, you know, like for him, like his numbers are still like, okay, but it has not been the Kevin punter. Like we saw at the end of last year who had, you know, Real Madrid on the brink, right. Where yeah. closing stretch of the game, Obradovich puts the ball in his hand and it's like, Hey, bring us home. And he says, sure. Yeah, I got us. Like that guy just hasn't been here. He's had injury problems as well. You know, I it, I think it's pretty clear that injury problems have affected his overall fitness. He just doesn't have that top level rhythm. Um, Zach Lede has not been great. He had like one stretch where he was playing like the old Zach Lede this season. 
outside of that, it's been very inconsistent. Caboclo was great when he first joined. Teams have really kind of figured him out. It looks like, yeah. you know, they needed a few a few games of film and how Partizan was using him. And ever since then, they've kind of like they know how to cut him out of the pick and roll. He's not a good passer. He just doesn't, you know, Lasort had that element of he could run. He would run over people like if you got in the way of what he wanted to do, he would literally just run over you and get to the rim still. Um, Caboclo has not like shown that yet. He's physical. Yeah. He's imposing, but he's not in the same way. You know, it's it, like he doesn't make it as big a part of his identity as Lasort did. And I think that is more than anything what Partizan needed in the next Lasort replacement was a guy who just truly his presence out there is so imposing on the game physically and they haven't found it. But like I said, it's an Obradovich team. They've got enough home games here to close, close this out. And they play Alba Berlin and Asvel. I believe, I think yeah. both of them like there, I, if they don't get enough wins to get in to, to sneak into, to the play in um, it's going to shock me, you know, it, yeah. it will truly shock, even with the basketball they've been playing lately. What have you, what have you seen from partisan this season? You know, I, I know it sounds like we're kind of on a similar page here, but what else do you think about their ability to close the season? Yeah, no, I, I agree with most, with most of you said, you know, uh, they, they've been uh, very, I think one of the issues is that they've been very nervous this season. Like they don't, uh, they weren't able to handle the pressure in a lot of clutch moment situation. They made very stupid mistakes for a team that has already, I would say, plenty of experience, you know, at this level. You know, they didn't manage those situations really well, which is really strange for a team coach like uh, by Zelko Obradovic, you know. Uh, they've been really nervous. I've seen, you know, exactly they always all over the place. I mean, he's a very high energy guy. He has always been that kind of player. But this season, I, I always see him, you know, complaining with the referees and, you know, always on the verge of getting a technical foul and, and stuff like that. So I, I don't know where this, you know, tension comes from, uh, but it's something that they need to try to get rid of it in this final part of the regular season, if they want to get that playing spot. Um, as you said, you know, I put them in this position because at the end of the day, I I don't want to take uh, a risk against uh, against Obradovic because he's such a, such a great head coach. But um, I think they also had this issue that they started the season with a very short roster because they were still looking for a couple of additions and they only made them during the season, like Caboclo, for example. And they added Jalen Smith later from, from Virtus. <clears throat> but they still lack a real point guard. You know, um, last season, Axum was their de facto point guard. They're trying to replicate that with PJ Dozier in a way, although. As you said, probably Dozier is still not ready for that uh, because this is his first season. And despite the fact that he's good, I don't think he's as good as as Dante Axon was for that team. And uh, and uh, defensively, sometimes they have some moments in which they kind of disconnect, and it's and it's kind of silly to see because they could be much better because they have very good defensive player in that team but sometimes it's just like they're not on the same page uh so i still believe in them i still believe they're gonna be at least in the plane but 
from the way they've been playing, especially in the last few weeks, there's there's definitely something that they need to fix, you know, because overall in the last few weeks they've been uh, they've been difficult to watch, you know that uh, those games are have not been entertaining to watch, and uh, there's definitely some to some to fix. But again, at the end of the day, this is Jelko Bradovic team, so I think they will find a way to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Look, I the defense that you talked about is a really good point. Um, look, to be clear, like I think what we're both saying on Dozier is like he, he's definitely a early player. Like that, like yeah, talent in that right way. That much is clear. It, it the game management, the late games, it, that's yeah. just not there yet. He just he doesn't yeah. have those reps of like closing a game, bringing it home, making sure they're getting good shots. And I think something you really miss. You know, Exum left this summer. So did Yamadar. So there was two yeah. point guards and two guys who like were top tier defenders for the point guard position as well. And Avramovich has not been healthy this season. Like that's been bothersome, but even when he has like his defensive intensity hasn't been there, you know, like I, I feel like watching him, like Alexa has become a much better scorer. And as he's become a better scorer, he's been like, Oh, this is, this is way more fun than the guy I, I was <laughs> for the seasons before this yeah. picking up full court all the time. And, and like being a hustle player, this is way more fun. I like taking pull up threes, which like, I don't blame him. I think, I think we, we would all agree as players. Um, But they, to your point, like one credit to Ognan Yaramaz, who's a player I've never thought too highly of, had question marks about his ability to really impact the game at the early level. He got he also got off to a slow start this season. Um, he has been like in the games that they win or where they have big runs, he is often in the like on the court making plays during those yeah. runs. Um, and it's because he's really committed to that defensive end. And I think he is also kind of been a leader offensively and trying to make sure they're getting better shots and keeping the game at a pace that's more controllable. Um, so he has really impressed me this season. Um, and I think, but like, I think that's a problem, you know, all the other talent they have at, at what Yarmas does, you know, him having to play as big a role as he had, be as integral as he had to their, to their victories um, is not the system they want. So that needs to change, you know, again, a Brodovich team, but like, punter they definitely have to get the defense on the same wavelength that it was last year where they could switch a lot they had a lot of versatility you know like dozier's got similar build to exum you know defense is about more than physicality for sure but he should be able to impact the game a little bit more at that end um if they could figure that out and if and a punter or lede really if just one of them could find that offensive rhythm again you know i, th- I think they're back to being a handful but yeah look they've they've disappointed this year i think they're still going to get in if somebody draws them in a playoff series, similar to Basconia, it's not going to be a fun five-game series. You know, Brodovich, I think last season was like the first time he ever lost in the playoffs or one of you know very, one of the very few times in his career. Yeah. Usually if he gets in the playoffs, he gets to the Final Four, right? So if, if they draw him again, even if it's Real Madrid, like I'm sure they're not looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, Orazio, thank you for the extended stay, my friend. This has been over two hours, just so everyone knows. I asked for an hour of Orazio's time, and he has been generous, as always, and been willing to stay on for longer. Um, I think we'll keep this one episode. I may break it up into two. I'll let you know how I how I decide to edit it on the back end. But uh, before we sign off, uh, Orazio, anything to plug? What's, uh, what's your Twitter handle? Where are you working at? What are you working on right now? Oh yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, man. It was a it was a real pleasure. Uh, you can find me on Basket News. I'm a reporter for basketnews.com in Italy. I also contribute to Backdoor Podcast, and my Twitter handle is at 
paxer89 so you can find me there i am always pretty active on twitter so that's where my uh, main environment is on social media fantastic orazio thank you so much everyone thank you for listening to the first episode of the euro ball podcast we will talk to you again soon take it easy